Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We are so excited to bring you this show. Our podcast is all about unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed games. Each episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Assassin's Creed universe. From pieces of Eden, solar flares, and the Isu, to the Hidden Ones, the Order of Ancients, and of course, the Animus, we will seek to uncover it all. So join us, and maybe even take a leap of faith. Welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Shelby. I am your host and your guide for this show, and I'm joined here by my illustrious lore master, the one, the only, Teacup. Hey, yeah, Teacup or Austin, whatever you want to call me. How about that guy? Sure. <laughs> All right, well, um, are you ready to talk about some Assassin's Creed? I'm always ready to talk about assassin's creed especially you got it like fresh in my brain because you've been playing odyssey and we're gonna get into that and so i am ready all right well let's just jump right in then i'm really excited to talk about maybe not this episode because this is a sad topic but i am excited to share about my playthrough at the mid-break so stay tuned for that um but today's episode is about a sad topic a violent topic it is the great purge Yes, so we are kicking off our new season. Uh, We are done with our season on Assassin Cells, which I believe, which that series is done. We're kicking off a new series with our season four. And so we are starting, we're going back. Assassins versus Templar, part two, because there were a bunch of conflicts that I kind of grazed over that didn't either didn't have a lot to talk about or were small and weren't big. But now we're going back and I'm diving into it, especially since... Uh, Shelby has gotten a little more deep into the lore and we know more and I've discovered more. We're going to go back to, we might revisit some topics. We might uh, see some new ones, but today we are talking about the great purge, which we have kind of danced around the whole uh, podcast and our character deep dives and assassin cells. We've talked about the great purge. Um, And so just an overview, the great purge happens at the turn of the millennia. So the early 2000s, it is an Abstergo Industries operation with the intent to ensure the global eradication of the assassin order. This is the largest purge of the assassins since the destruction of Masyaf, which is like 800 years. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't that like a thousand years? Um, So that's really significant right off the bat. I tried. I did look. There might be another Assassin's Purge because we do have an Assassin Purge in both France and Great Britain that happened. But I can't I couldn't find kind of numbers wise and like how dramatic it was. But the destruction of Masyaf by the Mongols and the Great Purge are the two, like, established largest destructions of assassins that I could find. And obviously, we have the eradication of the Templar Order in France in the 1400s. But this rivals that. It takes two years to complete. 
It is enacted by Daniel Cross, who we will talk about as we get into the episode. Um, and it was devastating and fundamentally changes the assassin order and how they operate. I would imagine that this would make them go completely like reclusive in the shadows, not public at all. Yes. And we will talk about that. Um, And like part of it's important to note that when this happens, a lot of our leaders that we see in the main series are like either mid-level leaders or like fledgling recruits. So Galena Vorina, Gavin Banks, William Miles, all of these places, even Rebecca Crane is just a fledgling assassin when all of this happens to um, the Great Purge. Lucy Stillman is not yet recruited. Debsman Miles is born, but is not even really playing that much of a role yet. Uh, He's kind of off. He's about to go off on his own adventure kind of thing. Um, So the people, like the big players of the Great Purge, we don't even see because they're gone as a result of this event. The craziest thing to me is like how easy they're able to accomplish this. It seems like, and that may not be accurate, but it seems like they're just able to unilaterally kill all of these assassins and the assassins never even saw it coming. Yeah. Um, And we'll talk about that as we get in. So let's stop, uh, you know, dancing around and let's get to the point. So let's jump, let's jump to there. So, we're going to start with kind of Daniel's journey because he is the key focal point of this whole thing. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. So in 1983, a young boy was abducted by the lineage discovery and acquisition division of Abstergo industries. And every time I say that division's name, it makes me want to throw up because it sounds like so corporate, like lineage discovery and acquisition It's literally abduction and kidnapping. It sounds simultaneously like something so corporate and benign. And at the same time, something from the 1800s colonial period. Exactly. It is like, it's disgusting. Every time I read it, I want to throw (laughs) up. Uh, And so he becomes a test subject in the Animus Project, known as Subject 4, later codenamed Daniel Cross. So Daniel Cross is not his birth name. It is, he's Russian, it's some kind of other name, but his name is Daniel Cross. Do we know what his birth name is? Does he know what his birth name is? If he did, he is in no mental state to tell us when we interact with him, really. Using a working prototype capable of mimicking a piece of Eden, Eden, a sublimable impulse was implanted in Daniel Cross, Subject 4's brain, that would force him to subconsciously want to infiltrate the Assassin Order and kill the Order's mentor once the opportunity to do so had arisen. So this is very similar of like the idea of like during the Cold War, there was like this myth going around of like the Russian sleeper agent who just needed like a code word activation and like would turn on... They would appear to be a U.S. citizen, but they were actually a Russian spy, and they would turn on that with like a com- like confirmation of a code word or something like that. And this, it's kind of like playing on that myth and s- the science fiction of that a little bit. 
And so once Abstergo has finished experimenting, Daniel was sent into the outside world in his underwear. He was picked up by a man named Luke and his female partner who noticed a young boy while driving their truck. After the woman called out to Daniel, he only replied in Russian. Having been experimented on, Cross was already suffering from the bleeding effect and was reliving the memories of Russian ancestor, assassin Nikolai Orlev. Okay, so I have thoughts. First of all, do we know how old he is at this point in time? I believe he's like a teenager. So... First of all, why did they make him, why did they not give him clothes? Like, what's, Uh, what's the point of that other than just being cruel and abusive? We see this event take place in the Assassin's Creed comic, The Fall. And this is actually a comic that I have read. And so this, this one is, it's implied that like he escapes or like breaks out or is let out it's very ambiguous and we don't have a lot of information about it um i don't know why that they did that but i think the real reason that abstergo might want to make it look like he escapes is if the assassins are watching so they don't see that like oh he was just sent out that way he's not seen interacting with any templar agents yeah i just don't like it but my second point is like so he's he's a kid when he's abducted and he leaves when he's like a young teenager. So that's not that long. And he's he's experiencing the bleeding effect when he leaves. So like to me, that just tells me that the Templars did nothing but leave him in the animus all day and all night long, um, which I just. It's so messed up. Like, this is a child we're talking about. Like, we're not talking about an adult who has the consent and the authority and the agency to, like, make their own decisions in their life. We're talking about a child. We're talking about a teenager here. I just, I don't know. Cruelty and abuse towards children really gets me fired up. And so this, if I if I didn't already hate Abstergo, this would just be, like the cherry on top well and let's remember that subject one i believe or like subject two is a literal baby like right vidic takes a baby vidic is not a good person you know we can make arguments for hatham kenway we can make arguments for upsergo or otto berg and probably some other templars along the line but we cannot make an argument for Warren Biddick. He is cruel. He is evil. He is obsessed with his own power. Right. And like, we see him do so many cruel things, like literally kidnapping a child and putting them to work as, as basically a slave, like enslaved to Abstergo. We see him doing all these kinds of things. We also see him doing like benign things like, how he treats Lucy and forcing Desmond to live in the same pair of clothing for months on end and not giving the man any pajamas. It's a personal vendetta I have against him. Just give the man some damn pajama pants. Well, even Sean, Rebecca and Lucy don't give him some pajamas. I I know. Let's move on. 
but you know, here the theme with the Templars, they send Daniel out in his underwear, they don't give Desmond pajamas. Like, can you just not let people be comfortable? <laughs> right. Do you not have extra clothes for these people? You are a billion dollar agency. You're telling me you don't have an extra 10 bucks to buy somebody an extra pair of clothing. Really? No, you just don't care. Anyway, let's move on. All right. So years later, after experiencing a hallucination and attempting to kill a random civilian because he believed the man was a Templar, Daniel is kidnapped by an, a woman known as Hannah Mueller who mistook him to be an assassin like her. He woke up the next day in an assassin camp. Uh, Hannah takes Daniel to meet Paul Bellamy, who is the director of this camp or site. And so the camps are similar to like bureaus, if you think back to the Ezio trilogy of assassins, uh, who explained to Daniel that there was no record of him ever. Like he doesn't exist as far as, which is unheard of in the time. I mean, it's the early 2000s, like, Everyone normally has a social security number. Like there are records of people existing. It's weird when they, someone doesn't have one. Uh, he told the man that his tattoo on his arm was the assassin Signia. So Daniel's Daniel has a tattoo of the assassin a on his arm. When attempting to leave after, after a question, Daniel stopped by two assassins who had been watching the exchange. He easily bested him, but is inevitably stopped by Paul Bellamy, who puts a hidden blade to his neck. Uh, Hannah's attention was drawn to Daniel the, that night due to Daniel's fit of rage. Overturning all the nearby furniture, Daniel explained to Hannah about his medication and told her that he needed it back. So obviously he was in some kind of like bleeding effect medication that was supposed to help him. Uh, at first, Hannah is reluctant to help him get this, but Daniel convinces her after discovering that Daniel had thrown the last of his medication out. He falls into a moment of depression, which Hannah told Daniel that what whatever was inside his mind, he should let it out. OK, but like, can we talk about this for a second? And, and obviously, like, what the Templars do to him is way worse. So I'm not, like, attacking this this uh, assassin lady for this. But, like, this is not helpful. This is not what you say to a depressed person. You say, I'm so sorry. How can I help you? Here's what I'll do for you during this difficult time. Not just let your demons go. That is not helpful. Right. So Daniel and Hannah then discuss the roles of the assassins in the contemporary assassin order. Basically, oh, I'm so depressed and my life sucks. Well, Hannah, let me tell you about this conspiracy theory and this secret shadow war that's happening in our country. Uh, and Hannah wants to know more about Daniel's hallucinations. During that time, Daniel marks the window with a symbol similar to a staff of Eden and asked her what it meant. So soon after this, Paul Bellamy burst into Daniel's apartment, which like, again, like assassins, like you're just going to break your and enter to someone's home. Like you, you could have knocked. You could have knocked Paul. Come on. Basically saying that Nikolay Orlev survived a 1908 mission who eventually and eventually went to America. Uh, this causes Daniel to have a hallucination brought on by uh Nikolai's name and he punches Bellamy when he demanded to know what he was what he was seeing 
The terror brought on by the images caused Daniel to flee over the rooftops. Still assaulted by the vision, he was pursued by Bellamy and Hannah. The hallucinations grew stronger until he finally collapsed from the strain. Daniel's first words after his collapse were that he knew his purpose. He was meant to find the mentor. Which at this point, the mentor of the assassins is not a known figure. And some assassins even believe him to be a myth. That the mentor doesn't exist at all. But this is a good place to stop. Um, And we can go to our mid-break. Unless you have some overarching thoughts about this is kind of the lead up to the Great Purge. I just have one question. So uh, I think I have this straight. At this time, when Daniel is convinced, like, okay, my purpose is to find the mentor. The mentor is not William Miles. The current mentor is someone else who will eventually get assassinated and then it becomes William Miles. Correct? Correct. All right. Yeah. So I got it. I got it. I just wanted to clarify that for the listeners. But yeah, let's go to the mid-break. Shoot! Shoot the flying demon! You weak fool! Get a job! Christina! Who's there? Me! Oh, it's you! I should have known! May I come in? Fine, but only for a minute. A minute is all I need. Indeed. Well, wait, uh, that came out wrong. All right. So welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we talk about all the things that have to do with the Assassin's Creed lore cast and not necessarily the lore of Assassin's Creed. The first thing I have to tell you about is our Patreon. We do have a Patreon. You can support us for as little as $5 a month and get access to all kinds of great benefits like early access to episodes, add free access to episodes, and you get to vote on our topics for our patron chats. And you also, when you first join and at certain tiers, you'll get your name read out on the show. So I have two new patrons to shout out this week, and that's Sir Sits A Lot and The Last Adler. Thank you guys so, so much for being our patrons. We're super thankful for you, and we couldn't keep doing the show without you. So you really do make a difference. And we do also have a new review to read today. And if you're not aware, reviews are the next best way to support us um, if you can't support us financially. And you can leave us a review on Apple or you can leave us individual comments on Spotify. And if those are five-star reviews or reviews with kind words, we will read them out on the show. And so the one I have to read today is from Dead Storm Pirate, and they said, The Best Assassin's Creed Podcast, five stars. I listen to this podcast every day at work, and I learn so much from the cups. Played since day one, and it scratches every single itch I have for the series. Love that Austin goes through all the medias of Assassin's Creed, not just the games. Excited to listen to a new episode every time it comes out. Going soon to be able to aid on Patreon to come on the show. Thank you so much for that awesome review, and we'll definitely be looking forward to you on patreon and then the next thing i have to tell you about is our discord server it is the best place on the internet we talk about all fun gaming news and nerdy things and just generally have a blast so come on over and join us if you want to meet some new like-minded friends the um, link is in the episode description or on our website cupspodcasting.com and then lastly, I have an update on my Odyssey playthrough. Um, 
I have been playing. I have officially left the island of Kefalonia. I have um, confronted, well, uh, yeah, I've confronted Cassandra's father, quote unquote father. And so I've like fought a battle and killed some mercenaries and um, tried to hook up with Odessa and just done a lot of things. Um I'm really enjoying it so far. It took me a hot minute to like really get into it and understand the combat, but I may be hooked um, and it may be my new obsession. So that's where I'm at. I have a question. Are you thinking you're going to uh, try to romance someone and stick with it? Or are you going to play a big uh, romancer? We're going to bang our way through ancient Greece. Excellent. <laughs> that's what that's what we're doing. So yeah, that that's where I'm at. Way, the proper way to play Odyssey. All right, perfect. Well, that's who we are uh on this for this protagonist. And I really am enjoying Cassandra. I have seen some people on the internet talk about how the voice acting in this game is terrible. Um, but I really have not experienced that yet. So um, it's mainly in like not the main characters. The mm-hmm. things people have complaints about are in like the NPCs, but I don't even see that. But yeah, so that's all. Those are all of my updates. I don't know if you have any thoughts about anything I've done so far. Um, you just start making interesting choices. Remember, like I don't this, know what that's this, supposed to mean. This game, your choices do matter. I know, I know they do. Um. I've already learned that the hard way. I like killed my entire island. So there's that. Yeah. Who's your favorite character? Your NPCs? Um, I really like Barnabas. I also really like Phoebe. All great characters. I can tell you who I can tell you who my least favorite character is. I'm sure you can guess. Uh Centaur or whatever his name is. No, not at all. Oh, is it Marcus? It's absolutely Marcos. I don't know why he just annoys me. And his face is so punchable looking. It is. It is. It is. All right. Well, let's get back into the show. Malaka. 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 Unless the legend is a lie, you are the man I long to meet. Renowned master and mentor. It's your auditory, the... La la la. Prego. Uh, forgive me. I have a hard time remembering that Italian gibberish. I'll see you all at the selection ceremony, ladies. I especially hope you show up. Let me guess. He's rich. All right. So Daniel Cross then kind of joins the assassins and he spends two years searching, basically searching for the mentor and doing odd jobs for the assassin, which kind of like gets him up to all kinds of like status in the assassins. And eventually he's kidnapped again by two men who take him to the mentor. This happens on November 5th of 2000. Now let's put some historical context here. November 5th of 2000 is right after the 2000 election, or at least right around it. So there's a lot of political turmoil and we know that George W. Bush is a puppet of the Templar order. Just keep that in mind. So Daniel wakes up to find himself in Dubai. 
where he finally meets the mentor. The mentor told him that he heard of Daniel's visions and he believed he would be of very unique value. The mentor then explained to Daniel how the assassins had come a long way from murdering those who'd become too powerful, greedy, or both. Uh, He also implied that he would choose Daniel as his successor and presented Daniel with his own hidden blade, telling them that he had earned it and fully initiated him into the assassin order. As soon as he put it on, Daniel felt as if he was made to wear it and use it. Though suddenly Daniel recalled his memories from Abstergo being experimented on by Warren Vidic and having the impulse to kill the mentor buried deep within him. In a split second, which he hadn't realized until the time had come, come, he recalled Bellamy and Hannah telling him to unleash whatever was inside of him and of be given a new name, Daniel Cross. Acting on impulse, Daniel assassinated the mentor and escaped the facility in a panic state. So I have two general thoughts. One, the mentor is delusional if he thinks that it is a good thing that they have come a long way from taking out those who had become too powerful, greedy, or both. Because that is the purpose of the entire order. That is the purpose uh, that Bayek and Aya set up for this group of hidden ones that eventually becomes the assassins. Yeah, I completely agree because like, to me, this seems like the mentor just wants the assassins to become like the opposite of what the Templars are and not actually what the assassins were established for. Like he just, or she, I guess, just wants them to become this super powerful organization that can influence the world and doesn't actually like live up to their ideals or follow the code. Right. I have some discussion questions that we'll finish out with um, about that. And we'll talk about that soon. But I just also just really feel bad for Daniel. Like the way the game portrays it in a lot of ways, portray it as like it is like a Lucy situation where he betrays them as this sleeper agent. But no, like he's a victim in this situation, Mm -hmm. at least what presents itself here. Right, like both the assassins and the Templars take advantage of a child because he's a teenager when he leaves the Templars. He's a child when he goes to the Templars. And it's like, you can't expect someone who's a teenager whose brain isn't fully developed yet to, you know, be this killer, to to be automatically on your side just because they've they've said they will be. Like, they are a kid still by the time he reaches the mentor he probably is in his uh like 19 to 22 age range so there is that like there's two years there's a long time of him like training to be assassins uh, be an assassin before he ever goes to the mentor but it's just a thing about like the assassins at this point have put too much stock in this animus research and to put too much stock in like these isu that are communicating with them when like in reality they should be putting stock in themselves like that's the whole point Mm -hmm. of the assassins is that we humanity have the power to alter our own destiny and decide our own fate we don't need the power or influence of these artifacts i mean that's the whole point Ezio turns i mean he uses the apple but he realizes no this needs to be locked away bayek turns away from the isu things like 
Connor basically follows the instructions of Juno, but he's not interested in any of that. Like the assassins time and time again demonstrate that the best way for them to do is to lock up and shut out the Isu influence. Even Edward, who chases this dream of wealth in the end, says this is a power no man should have and shuts it all down. Right. And it's so crazy to me that like these humans, humans who were enslaved by the Isu are constantly looking to emulate them and get something from them, get power from them or get status from them or what have you. Like they enslaved you once. Do you really think they wouldn't do it again if they were given the chance? Right. So to kind of wrap up with this, we're getting towards the kind of end. Daniel made his way to a uh, Abstergo research facility in Philadelphia where he requested to be put in the animus so that he could be with his family. Basically, the bleeding effect had taken over so much that he was like, I just want to be with my family. Sometime later, Daniel was tied to an operation chair and unknowingly drugged by, by Dr. Sung under orders of her boss, Alfred Stearns into revealing the location of the assassin's camps and safe house he had visited during his journey, allowing the Templars to initiate what would be called the Great Purge. Under Stearns' guidance, nearly all the assassins within their camps, including children, were massacred by military agents of Abstergo Industries, with only a few assassins managing to evacuate and a few off-the-grid settlements remaining unscathed so there are a few camps that daniel did not uh know about that were able to survive obviously the farm where william miles gavin banks and desmond and all of the lucy stillman all of them are there on the farm they survived this because daniel never went there but it is detrimental and so kind of the aftermath of this the operation is obviously a victory for the Templars and the assassins were unable to recover from their defeat. Uh, remaining under the radar and operating in small cells, the consequent decrease of the assassins' influences over American politics also allowed the Templars to be successful in placing their puppet, George W. Bush, as president of the United States. As an also result, the Templar formed Sigma and Delta teams. Now, Sigma team is headed by Otto Berg and is basically designed for investigating and hunting down assassins, rogue assassins. Uh, by late 2012, the assassins had recovered enough to resume the fight against the Templars. In an operation spearheaded by Desmond Miles and William Miles, the assassins recover an apple of Eden and dealt a severe blow to Abstergo by robbing them the apple and destroying the Eye Project and killing two Inner Sanctum members in Daniel Cross and Warren Vidic. Despite Desmond's death in 2012, the assassins continued to score victories against the Templars, destroying labs in Paris, coercing a group known as the Initiates to join them in accessing genetic memories and undermining Abstergo efforts across the board. And so my la my kind of last discussion question is like, everyone looks at the Great Purge and everyone talks about the Great Purge in this tragedy. And it is a tragedy, especially the death of the assassins' children's children in the camps and just the brutal murder that takes place. But do you think the Purge is kind of like a forest fire? 
that serves to offer in a point of rebirth into the order. Yeah, I definitely see that analogy um, because it allows the assassins to kind of go back to what Bayek and Aya intended them to be. And I think that the the biggest thing about this is like they had become, I don't want to say public, but they were not sticking to the shadows. They were not being secretive. They were being much more public about who they were. And I think that that's the assassin's downfall is when they are public, um, when they are open and honest about what they're doing, because by nature, they're a secretive organization and you should be, and you have to be. So I think that this does allow them to have kind of a rebirth into those traditional ideals. Um, But the question I have is like, at what cost does it make it not worth it? You know? Yeah. And I think that at least from an assassin's perspective, like we know from the bloodstone unit that they were getting involved in the CIA and, you know, Connor is instrumental in the success of the American revolution. So I highly doubt that the assassins remained disconnected from American politics after the setup of the United States of America in 1789 with the constitution. Right. And we know that they, we know that they are involved at least in some way because of the bloodstone unit. Right. And so when you start pairing yourself with these governments, like one of Bayek and Aya's things that they look back and say is their biggest mistake is attaching themselves to Cleopatra. They look back and they say, we should have been removed. We should have been beyond that to serve only the people and never believe in these leaders to do what needs to be done. And like even Ezio with his friend in the Medici, like he doesn't fully put his support in there. And he knows that his like fight is beyond the political power of the Medici. And so like, I think that's the assassin's mistake is believing that they can put themselves backed behind nobility, behind governments, behind those in power. I think that blinds them to the people that they're supposed to be serving. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree completely. And I think that the purge is not the assassin's fault. It's not even Daniel Cross's fault, in my opinion. It's Abstergo's fault. It's the Templar's fault. They're the ones who enact this murder and genocide absolutely and it's 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 their fault for manipulating and abusing a child to to accomplish this right and i think that with the leadership that rises up um especially with their background and i know you hate william miles but these leaders that rise up in the assassin world from here know what can happen at the cost and they are dead determined said especially uh galena and gavin are dead set on protecting assassins and protecting the innocent yeah i think that's absolutely fair uh, i think the thing that gets me kind of just shifting a little bit 
is how reminiscent this is of Order 66 from Star Wars, from the prequels. Um, And we see in the Clone Wars, I know this is kind of like off topic, but in the Clone Wars, if you've seen that, which is like one of my favorite Star Wars uh, shows, if not my favorite one of them all, we see that Palpatine implants these, um, they, he puts these implants into the brains of the clones. And that's how he's able to accomplish order 66. And he just kind of flips that switch and they go, okay, we got to destroy all the Jedi. And it, it very much reminds me of this, like, They've put this impulse, this subliminal impulse into Daniel Cross's brain that forces him subconsciously to infiltrate the assassins and kill the mentor when the opportunity presents itself. And to me, it's like, that's exactly the same thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of like there's so many similarities there. And then, of course, the Great Purge happens where almost all of the assassins die and as we know almost all of the jedi die so to me it's very 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 reminiscent of that well then they're and they're both called purges in their respective lores and you know daniel does have some similarities to anakin in this in that like when he's discovered the assassins believe he's some kind of chosen one that are gonna bring Mm -hmm. them victory i mean the mentor says you could be my successor and then yeah. he ends up being their downfall. And I think that's very reminiscent of Anakin being his chosen one. Um, so, yeah, I just think that your comparison, the comparison to Anakin is up there. And I think that while Anakin is ultimately responsible for his actions, and I don't necessarily think that Daniel is responsible for his actions in a lot of ways, uh, there's still a lot of similarities there. And I also... Um, think that it's a very inept analogy or adept analogy is what I want to say. It's a really adept analogy between Order 66 and the Great Purge. Yeah. And just like you bringing up the conversation about like, who's at fault? Um, Are you responsible for your actions when you've been abused your entire life? It just really reminds me of like, in psychology, children who have been abused their whole childhoods, typically... Uh, when they become teenagers or or adults, and when when they t- suffer severe abuse like this, um, they often have very severe personality disorders, or they have disassociative identity disorder, which causes them to have multiple personalities. Um, and so, to me, it's like I-, I feel like Daniel could fit into this situation, and for me, like. I just think about there are so many court cases out there that have been people claiming, hey, I have disassociative identity disorder. This was my alternate, alternate, alternate personality, and I can't be held responsible for these actions. And like, obviously, there there are different outcomes to that. Um, But but to me, it's like it's not Daniel's fault for what he's gone through. It's not Daniel's fault that he was forced really because of this implant in his brain. He was forced to do that. He didn't choose to kill the mentor of his own volition. And not only that, like it's not Daniel who starts the great purge. Daniel just kills the mentor. It's Abstergo who kills the rest of the assassins. Right. Um, it goes to show at least like it makes me nervous for the modern day storyline and its continuation because we know that Abstergo will play this long game 
of having something in the work for decades and then the dominoes just fall. Right. And not only that, but like, how do the assassins come back from this? And like, yes, we can talk about how they're more effective in the shadows and whatnot. But like when you have an organization like Abstergo that has access to billions and trillions of dollars, that has access to the top research, that has access to the top political figures, the top decision makers, that has access to every resource imaginable, including facial detection software, including internet resources that we don't even know the likes of. How do you fight back against that? I have no idea. Um, I think the only thing that the assassins might have going for them is that Basm seems to have some kind of idea of a fight to bring to the Templars. But again, like he's the trickster god. Like we can't trust him. He's an Isu. We can't trust him. We don't know what he wants. But historically, Alethea, who he's apparently allied with, is human so i who knows what to believe supposedly well she's anti-juno she hates juno right but just because you're anti-juno doesn't mean you're pro-human i guess that is true and it's kind of like the enemy of my enemy they say is your friend but when the enemy is no longer your enemy are they still your friend right no so it's been in current timeline. It's been two decades since the Great Purge. And so maybe the assassins are different. We shall see. We shall see. Um, but this was a great episode. Very fascinating. Answered a lot of questions that I had had for a while. So thank you for doing the research. Thank you for bringing all this together. And thank you for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at AC Lorecast. If you have any lore questions or topics to unpack, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. Find us on patreon.com slash Assassin's Creed Lorecast. The Assassin's Creed Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode's description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, make sure you give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. And always remember, Assassins, stay in the shadows to serve the light.
Have you ever wanted to deep dive into the lore and stories behind all your favorite Marvel movies? Then do we have the show for you. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. Join us as we dissect the media megalith that is the MCU. We'll talk about the origin stories, the fights, and everything in between. The MCU Lorecast releases on all major podcasting platforms on Mondays as part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club and can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.